Hey there, this is The Quantified Body and I'm Damien Blankensop. Today we're talking about fitness trackers. Fitbit, Nike Fuel, Jawbone, The Basis, and many more. One in 10 Americans now have a fitness tracker according to a 2015 consumer wearables report. If you're one of those people, you've probably seen a few articles in the press questioning the accuracy of these devices. And the truth is, some devices are more accurate than others. And we'll take a look at why based on the different technologies that they're using to track our activity. But the bigger question is, does it really matter? What real benefits are we getting from these devices at the moment? And does their accuracy affect those benefits either way? Are we making better decisions? Are we being more physically active because we're held more accountable by these devices? That's what we're gonna look at also today. Today's guest is Greg Welt. He's a physical activity researcher who is constantly reviewing the latest devices on the market and looking at the technologies used in clinical settings to track physical activity. His goal is to understand how to better measure physical activity and thus develop strategies to increase physical activity in the population for wellness benefits. In September 2014, he published a study comparing the accuracy of most of the popular devices out there. And that kind of hit the press and it revealed some accuracy discrepancies. And so I reached out to Greg to talk about this because basically it's what he spends all his time doing. So I wanted to make sure we got an expert reading on this. Greg is currently director of clinical research of the Nutrition and Wellness Research Center at Iowa State University. To get the show notes where we list out the tracking and the tools mentioned in the episode, get the MP3 download and the interview transcript, go to verquantifiedbody.net forward slash episodes. If you want to get the show notes in your email inbox, you can go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash newsletter, pop your email in there and you'll get them every time the show comes out. Enjoy the interview. The Quantified Body. New technologies are bringing us more and better data on our bodies every day. This data promises to help us make better decisions for better health, higher performance, less disease, and greater longevity. In the quantified body, we explore this promise to find out where it is creating real world results, improving bodies, and improving lives. Hi, Gregory. Hi. Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. Yep, my pleasure. So first of all, I wanted to dive into what the interest is in tracking exercise or activity in general. What kind of benefits do you think this can have for us? Well, as a, a researcher, I've been using uh, monitors for many years. We use them to study how active people are so we can quantify um, associations with health benefits and evaluate whether interventions work to change behaviors. So the recent movement to consumer monitors has been a really interesting development. So I think the research community is at least still trying to learn how best to use these devices and whether they do work to change behavior or not. Right. So it's, it's mostly about like, is it going to change our behaviors and, and thus provide benefits in terms of, say, increased activity or more focused activity on things that are tending to work with us? Obviously, there's still a lot of exercise kind of science debates going out there. Like, is cardio better? Is, is weightlifting better? Resistance training better? There's a lot of these kind of discussions still going on. Maybe over time, if we're tracking exercise on a, a larger level and we have big data, do you, have, do you think it can help some of these questions? Oh, sure. I think the, the devices give consumers the, the power to monitor their own behavior. I guess the key is whether they pay attention to the cues and, and tune into them because tracking data by itself won't 
necessarily change behavior unless it becomes something that's used in your daily life. So the, what we would refer to the, the data as would be helping people with self-monitoring, learning to monitor their own behavior and using that as cues to change their behavior. But you know, when you talk about the broader level of the data being stored in, cl- in the cloud and, and being able to infer what people are doing and not doing, um, it opens up all kinds of new opportunities to understand human behavior. So that's very exciting as well. Great. And so as you've watched... Perhaps you could talk about like what were you doing before this exercise tracking market started developing? What kind of things were you doing in order to um, estimate and assess activity? Well, again, accelerometers have been around for 20 or 30 years and active research in the research community. So there's been a probably second or third or fourth generation monitors being used by researchers since the early 1990s, I'd say. Even a little bit, there were some preliminary models in um, the eight, 1980s. So we've been using accelerometers for many years. I guess the the key that turned it into a a consumer marketplace was when uh, the Wii was developed, actually, because when the Wii was released, there was uh, the accelerometer that was used in the Wii device all of a sudden became in demand and the price came down. And that's what allowed some of the monitors to develop uh, consumer versions that were more price competitive at sort of the price point, because we were previously using very expensive accelerometers and then the price dropped tremendously and allowed all the consumer development. Great. For people at home, could you describe briefly, how does an accelerometer work? Right. Well, there's different uh, technologies. Actually, the many people don't aren't aware, but Leonardo da Vinci is credited with coming up with the early idea of a, a monitoring device. And Thomas Jefferson was one of the first developers of a mechanical pedometer hundreds of years ago. So the, the concept of tracking steps has been around for many years. The most early accelerometers used what's uh, called a piezoelectric bender moment. So this type of device would allow a physical force to be converted into an electrical current, which could then be scaled and calibrated. So the way researchers use these initial devices would, the, the, the devices all produced a, a unit that we called counts, an activity count. And it's a nebulous unit um, because a, a count depended on, it didn't have a, a value to it, and it depended on how the device was scaled or internally processed. But researchers could take that device and then calibrate it by linking it to um, a certain number of calories or oxygen consumption to determine how many counts equates to how many calories, for example. And now those calculations are built into most of these devices. Again, the early devices were piezoelectric, and there was some concerns about the reliability of the sensors, for example, in the early models. But um, then when they went to solid-state devices, they became much more reliable. And now there's the typical accelerometer that's at least used in most research devices. It's more of a MEMS accelerometer that senses true gravitational forces rather than bending moments. And that that opens the door for other type of senses. So some of the accelerometers can tell, for example, by the direction of the movement, whether you're standing or sitting. And, and so there's interest in posture as well as movement. So it sounds like there's a, quite a wide variety of accelerometers that are available today, and some of them are still more expensive and less expensive. So it sounds like it's a technology in, in evolution. The ones you're using in research currently are basically ahead of the game compared to the ones we have in consumer devices. Is that correct? Well, somewhat, but actually the, the the studies that we've done recently, we've compared some of the consumer monitors directly head-to-head with some of the established um, research monitors, and the, they're in the ballpark. So the, the consumer monitors are um, not far behind. 
which leads you to conclude that there is um, some calibration work going on uh, behind the scenes at these companies. So uh, the various companies don't really talk much about the research. I guess they figure the consumers don't really care or want to know the details of how accurate it is. And that's why researchers like myself study it. So we did compare some of the leading consumer monitors against standard research grade monitors, and the, several were better than others. But the, in general, it shows that some of the technologies are probably using pretty advanced calibration methods or multiple sensors to get the type of precision that they're getting. So when you say multiple sensors, is that so they have maybe more than one accelerometer inside the device and they're using algorithms to calibrate? Right. In addition to a standard accelerometer, a lot of devices include a gyroscope. For example, that's built into almost all of our cell phones. So um, a lot of the the way the field's moving is that a lot of the technology that already exists in your cell phone can actually be an activity monitor. So instead of wearing something on your wrist, we're actually wearing uh, a very powerful sensing tool in our pockets. Um, the challenge is calibrating it to where to having people wear it in different body positions and things like that. So the a standard position, if it's worn on the wrist, for example, gives you a a better way to calibrate it because everyone's wearing it in the same spot. But the other sensors would be gyroscopes or uh, altimeters. Um, so the the one limitation of accelerometers, for example, is that it, it can't really tell if you're walking up a hill or carrying a backpack. They're based on gait, for example, and so the accelerometers get pretty good at detecting that locomotion is taking place, and then if you're running, you're moving faster, and there's more counts, and so your count rate goes up, and they can tell that that's running. And more advanced sensors are now using pattern recognition technologies that can determine what type of activity it is. The real challenge is you're limited if you're using just an accelerometer because we know, again, it can't detect if you're carrying a backpack or um, walking up a hill. So including an altimeter or some of the devices are including heat sensors or heart rate monitors. So the integration of several sensors allows you to make better inferences about what people are doing. Great, great. So let's talk a little bit about some of the accuracy. Which devices did you actually look at in your studies? Um, well, that's the challenge and fun in some of the ways. The paper we had published even just this past year in Medicine and Science and Sports and Exercise compared a number of the leading consumer monitors. Um, but by the time the paper goes live and is published, there's already new monitors in use. So, for example, Fitbit is a very popular device. And in that original study, we compared the Fitbit One and the Fitbit Zip, um, which were worn on the hip. Those were the early Fitbit devices, and we also compared the, the Body Media Fit, which was uh, an armband monitor and a host of other uh, monitors, the Groove, Direct Life, the Nike Fuel Band. But then by the time the paper is uh, even out, the consumer models are already very dynamically changing. So we actually just finished a, another study that's submitted and in review now that compared most of the recent wrist-worn monitors. So the, the movement in the field was away from the waist-worn monitors, which is where researchers have typically used them in and where pedometers are worn to the more wrist position because people are used to wearing things on their wrist and it's more fashionable and our new study we used the Fitbit Flex which is the wrist worn monitor and also the Jawbone Up 24 and, and those two are tend to be the the leading uh, performers um, at least in our test so far so is it the jawbone and the um, the Fitbit worked out reasonably well. Where I've seen better results in, in in almost all of our work with the Body Media technology, and Body Media was the original developer of the most powerful research grade monitor. And most of their technology and development went into the Jawbone. So I don't know if consumers are aware, but Jawbone is a very powerful technology company, Body Media, that is behind a lot of the infrastructure and the pattern recognition work that they do. 
Yeah, I mean, because it's interesting because some, some of the, these companies are now, even if they were startups, are getting bought up by some of the bigger companies because Intel bought the Basis Watch. Right. Of course, Intel's you know a huge company. Sure. I mean, you got Apple moving in with the watch, which I guess you haven't had access to um, with their watch. We're actually just starting that. We have plans to do another study in the spring with the Apple Watch. Yeah, but it's not going to be out for another couple of months or maybe January or so for us anyway. Great, great. So in general, if you're using the Jawbone or the latest uh, Fitbit, you think it, it's good enough for people to be using and not be concerned with any accuracy differences between the reality, the research grade ones you're you're using. Right. I'm pretty comfortable with the results. Actually, our paper showed error of 10 to 15 percent for overall estimates. And I have a caveat to that to add, but that's a considered a group or an individual level assessment. So if a person is wearing it and it says that you burned 200 calories, a 10 percent error would mean it's 220 or 180. So there'd be a buffer around that, that point. But that's a reasonable amount of error for a consumer level device especially when the goal is behavior change. So if you're using it for research, then precision is more important. But if your real goal is to use it to monitor your activity and to prompt you to be more active, then I think the, the accuracy is um, pretty good. Yeah. And I guess the idea behind that also is like, if you're just wearing something, it's kind of relative. Yeah. If I yep. took uh, 10,000 steps one day and I take 8,000 the next day, yep. is it safe to say that the monitor's reporting the same kind of bias if it does have a bias? And so... Right. That would be constant error. And you're right. If, if you have more on one day than another, that would say that you're more active. And that's the real goal um, from a behavior change standpoint is to have it cue your behavior and, and prompt you to be accountable to move. Right. And I guess for the moment, that's probably one of the, the best uh, uses in terms, as I say, because like exercise science, science is still kind of trying to define what's, say, the ideal movements and, and things like this. I don't know if you've looked at the Amigo. I don't think it's commercially available yet, but that was looking at trying to track more different aspects of the exercises, the movements and so on. Mm. No, I haven't heard of that one. Um, we keep uh, pretty close on this. My students keep me uh, tapped into all the latest and greatest out there, but we hadn't heard of that one. Um, but I think you're right that eventually the the movement needs to be to integrate these sensors with other technologies where they can um, provide more information. So it's not just the amount of movement that you're getting. It's how does that relate to your health and does it change your behavior and change your health outcome? Right, right. I guess it's going to be evolving for quite a while till we get to any kind of ideas of what's optimum because it's probably going to be different for each person as well, depending on where they're coming from. It's quite complex. For the the basis watch, um, which I used for about a year, well, I found, first of all, that it didn't really reflect very well changes like in the steps reporting, running, walking. Sometimes it would think I was doing one thing versus the other. So I think that was for sure something that needs ongoing work to uh, make. I don't know how the basis turned up. In Did you look at the basis compared to the others? Yeah, we did in our early study, and it didn't perform too well, but we got contacted by the company after that, and they said, oh, I think we, we can do better than that, and they were surprised by the, the results, but we reported what we got, but the, the basis was one of the poor performing uh, monitors in our um, initial study, but they indicated it might have been that we had an earlier version than their latest or something um, along those lines. But you're right, it's a challenge for the companies to balance the need for accuracy with uh, consumer uh, forces. So right now, most of the emphasis in the development is on fashion or size and making them smaller, but accuracy is not a high priority among most of the companies. And, and that's the balance that they'll have to play is uh, how to keep the quality good and add new sensors, but without making them bulkier or not as functional or fashionable anymore. So there's this 
balance that they have to play. Yeah, it seems like the people who are most concerned about accuracy are potentially some of them, the athletes, the people who they got more going on or quantified selfers, mm-hmm. the people. But for the mass market, it seems like they just kind of assume that it's it works kind of thing yeah. you know, and that they don't have to worry about it too much. I mean, it's not something that they really question a lot because I guess it's kind of beyond them. We're talking about accelerometers and the technologies are relatively advanced and complicated for just the average person to start trying to dig into. Exactly. And so the, the, the consumer, like when our study came out, actually the media picked it up and a lot of the media buzz was the monitor isn't as accurate as you think. And so again, I pointed out that 10 to 15% error was decent in the paper, but when the media spun it, then it became known that your monitor may not be as accurate as you think. But I think uh, the media and the, the general public, for example, don't fully realize how difficult it is to quantify movement. So the when we walk around, the accelerometers are basing most of the estimates only on this ability to detect gait, walking and running. And, and you know, if you're standing lifting weights, the monitor can't tell what you're doing. And if you're walking up a hill, for example, it can't note that and really capture the true energy cost. If you're digging a ditch, these monitors, you could be burning tons of calories, but you're not moving in space. And so the monitor is not picking up that detail. And that's uh, the caveat I, I mentioned earlier that I was going to get back to is our, our recent study, we broke up the, the time periods and we looked at the accuracy of the devices for sedentary time, like typical office work. And then we looked at um, locomotor activity, like an aerobic workout on a treadmill. And then we looked at 20 minutes of circuit training. So we had people for about an hour come in and we had them first do 20 minutes of kind of sitting around, standing around, just doing office work, 20 minutes on a treadmill, and then 20 minutes in a free weight a circuit training environment. And then we looked at the accuracy for all three settings. And so when I was pointing out earlier that the accuracy was 10 to 15 percent, that was in a more controlled study and also for an overall period, like for a full hour. But then when you break out the accuracy for individual segments, the monitors were all over the place. So they overestimated for one device or one activity and underestimated for another. So I guess they're mostly, are they standardized on jogging or walking primarily? Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where the jawbone uh, body media fit tended to be better performers because they have other sensors that are detecting the patterns. Whereas um, the Fitbit and the Direct Life and the Nike Fuel Band had more variability in their estimates for each individual activity. And so they have more error, even though the overall estimates looked comparable. So what are they combining with the accelerometer? In It's in order to determine the type of activity so that they can basically run a different algorithm, I guess, on the count. Right. A lot of the work actually looks at the patterns within the, how the counts are accumulated. So if the counts are in a repeatable pattern, like at a rhythm, a frequency, then we know it's walking. If they see a a chaotic pattern, then we can know it's not walking or running, and then other patterns can be detected. For example, the body media can detect um, a pattern in cycling um, that most other companies have not been able to do. And we've done studies that show it it gets better at predicting the energy cost of cycling than other monitors. So they, they use other sensors, again, these heat sensors or just the pattern within the minute. And so even though the devices are producing an estimate of a single minute, they're actually sampling at 30 hertz or more to capture all this rich data. And so I guess the important thing to understand here is that they're using proxies, right? They're taking data, which isn't directly counting steps, calories, and then they're they're using research. Is it standardized research or is it their own personal estimates? And for the most part, these all the consumer devices are doing it on their own. And that's what researchers are now starting to test. Again, when the, the original calibration work 
that came out with uh, that most of the people in our field use that we develop the calibrations, they get published, they get used by other researchers, but the, the companies are on their own to kind of develop their own calibration equations or pattern recognition algorithms, and then they work over time to improve them. So there's no activity going towards a standardization of any of this as yet, whether it's the hardware or these or the software? Um, not within the consumer market. In the research world, we're sort of converging back around the use of raw G-forces, I'll, I'll say. So the, the original um, accelerometers were producing an output that was called counts. Again, that was that you couldn't compare one count to another count because they were scaled differently. But if, if all the accelerometers could report in the same unit, which is gravity, G-forces, then we can make inferences across monitors. And that's becoming the unit that we should have been using all along, but it wasn't possible before. But there's sort of a move towards using raw data and using uh, raw G-forces as the unit of comparison. That sounds great. So I guess, would you envision that consumer companies will eventually doing this? But Or is this a very different cost? Has it got a very different cost structure as yet? Could you give us an idea of what the difference is? Is it 10x or... No, I'd say maybe 2x or, or less in terms of the, the sophistication of a research monitor. It's more the processing capabilities that they built and the data storage that differentiates a consumer monitor from a research one. So what researchers want to know is we want to be able to see the raw data in minute-by-minute minute form or second-by-second. And that requires a lot more larger data storage, which then makes the devices bigger. Or And also we need better processing software. A lot of the consumer monitors export only data every hour, for example, because it doesn't require as much storage in the unit and keeps the data piece smaller. So it's a factor of what's important. So a researcher needs different things than the consumer needs. And it's kind of that trade-off. But I'd envision, again, the consumer monitors evolving more in the direction of combining multiple sensors and, and linking eventually to other health-related indicators. There's a, a big movement now towards how they could be used by physicians or behavior change applications. So that I think the, the real key is going to be how these devices can interface with the, the healthcare system. Right now, they're just kind of a fun thing that people are using, but the real question is whether healthcare providers will start using them and whether insurance companies will start paying for it because it's preventing getting people more active would go a long way to preventing chronic disease and reducing obesity in the population. And for something like that, that's going to encourage the device manufacturers to move potentially towards some standards like the one you were just talking about, which when it comes to government and stuff, they want something more standardized and you can't have just all these monitors and just like if all the medical doctors aren't going to be able to work with all of them, obviously that's kind of not the way it works. And I can imagine there'll be some kind of approval process eventually. I don't know if you've seen anything going on like that. I know that Apple was apparently talking with the government and some of the uh, health bodies. I don't know if you were looking at that about some of the markers and some of the structure they were putting behind the watch. Yeah, I've seen a little bit, but probably not enough to comment. The, the real key is, I think, whether the devices, I think stymieing competition would go against America's about and what the companies would about. And so all companies should have a chance to compete for that marketplace and not force healthcare providers to use the same device. But the, the key is whether the devices can be successfully integrated into an electronic medical record, for example. So I work with a couple of companies that have already been working on the, the medical interface, and there, there's a, a patch 
The product's called the Metria patch, and it's basically a adhesive version of an accelerometer that a doctor could slap on a person's arm, tell them to wear it for a week, and then they tear it off and mail it back in or bring it back in. And it has all the sophistication of the best available research device, but in a, a form that a physician's group could use. And they've started working into how that data can be incorporated directly into an electronic medical record where it can be acted on. Right. And that's big enough to store the types of minute by minute, minute data you were talking about? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's a, it has the adhesive because uh, it's made capabilities. So when, when you put it on, it, it becomes like a, a literally a patch that sticks to your arm for a week at a time or even a month at a time. You could swim with it, shower with it, and it eventually when it's taken off. And they've even figured out the breathability, like how to make sure that if you're wearing this, that it doesn't affect your skin underneath. And so there's a lot of work in that particular interface. But the even with that device, I think the missing piece is sort of the the health coaching that goes along with it. So for it to ever take tra- get traction in the healthcare community, they need to know that they can um, see the data and then use the d- data to inform uh, behavior change. So we've done a lot of work lately with health coaching applications of some of these monitors that have a that we have a virtual health coach, for example, that can see the participants' data and we can comment about whether they've been active that week or whether we see patterns that they could act on to improve their physical activity or weight loss behaviors. And so we've got a a number of studies in process with this kind of health coach model. That sounds very interesting. And how far do you, how long before you think this kind of thing becomes more available to consumers? I know there are some health patches already out. We've spoken with one provider, Rhonda Collier, and, and she's been working with a health patch for our heart rate monitor. So there are some of these starting to creep into the market, but they were still a little bit cost prohibitive uh, based on the fact that it's kind of a usable one, uh, consumable. So you have to buy one every week or every month. Right. But that at least gives a cost structure that a a, a physician's group can budget for. It's more challenging to use like a a physical device that gets lost or that they have to buy and and upgrade. It's sort of like a disposability is an an advantage in in a lot of ways because it can be built into the, the fee structure. That's right. And it can be updated easily rather than having to pay a higher price and have someone have to have that for one or two years right. before they can upgrade. It allows, especially at this time when the technology is moving very fast. So do you foresee the technology changing rapidly for the next five years or do you think it's going to settle settle down soon? Oh, I think it's just getting started in uh, dynamic phases. So I, I think all these and new and you know very uh, exciting um you saw them all out at the Christmas. I'm sure a lot of people got them in their Christmas presents this year. You saw them highly advertised at the Christmas sales and things. But um, I think the, the movement will be towards these smart watches and the integration with your cell phone. And again, in a few years, the, the technology already exists in cell phones to do this. So the watch really becomes the cue or the device that prompts you about how active you are and whether the accelerometer is in your watch or in your pocket doesn't really matter. They'll basically start integrating with other aspects of your life and provide prompts about your blood pressure and your heart rate and other features that can inform your health. Great. Thank you very much. Do you have any practical tips for use which could help to get better feedback, more accurate feedback perhaps over time? For instance, a lot of these watches, as you say, they're worn on, on the wrist. Is it making a difference which wrist you put it on? 
Um, no, I don't think that matters. The companies may tell you it's best if worn on the left because that's where they calibrated it. But I don't think the, the right or left doesn't really matter. But I think the, the key, as you pointed out earlier, is that um, people should use them on a relative basis as a reminder to be active. If they want to take a day off and remove the monitor, that's okay. The world's not going to end if they have a, a gap in their data because the real goal is to be using it to cue um, your behavior. So um, I, for example, don't use one every day, or I use them when I feel the need to monitor or, or things like that. And um, other people, however, really do benefit from the daily accountability and want to have that as a daily reminder. And so it's it's kind of an individual preference there. Yeah, one of the, the main things I was using it for was just judging how much I was working and how far, how many steps, and just trying to keep that at a, a reasonable level and increasing it. Actually, at the, at the time, I was suffering from chronic health issues, and I was it was difficult for me to walk. So it was great for me to see the progress. Ah, like I made 10,000 steps today. That's awesome. Right. Unfortunately, it didn't take into account the hills, which we were talking about, which is a huge factor in whether I made that 10,000 or if I went up this hill. So I'm sure that's going to come relatively soon. In terms of the, the next things you see happening in the market, which you're kind of excited about, you talked about the patch. Is there anything else you see in the consumer market, which you think will be coming soon or in the next five years? I think one of the convergences is going to be with um, the balance between um, not just promoting activity, but minimizing inactivity or sedentary behavior. So um, the research community is really intrigued with the dual um, effects of both an active lifestyle and basically being more active and less inactive. Uh, That's one of the things I'm personally much more interested in is minimizing my sedentary time. So I'm like a number of people that have a standing desk and uh, try to be on my feet more than I'm sitting. And um, so I think the, the monitors that can start providing information about sedentary time and activity time, that's going to be a desirable combination. Mm. And position, as you said earlier, because right now, most of them don't tell if you're standing or sitting. And there's a fair amount of research, as I understand it now, that sitting is a really bad idea for our backs and, and other aspects, whereas it sounds like you and I are trying to just stand and do the standing desk thing more because of that, but it's not getting tracked. Right. But uh, most devices don't really have a good sense of how to track a sedentary time. The research community is actively pursuing that, but we haven't really seen good output from most of the consumer monitors on on sedentary time yet. I mean, I think they're working on it. And so I think eventually there'll be these separate indicators. And even on the the smartwatch, the prototype for Apple, they have a really cool interface. I don't know if you've seen that, that shows these loops, um, there would be a, a circle. And when you meet the day's activity goal, your circle would complete or you would get a full circle. And if you also minimize the time you spend sitting, you would also get a full circle. And the way they track that is that you can't have any hours where you're sedentary for more than an hour. So basically it forces you every hour to remember to stand up and move, which is a good cue. And so they have built that into the the planned smartwatch. Again, I haven't gotten to try one myself yet, but that's what I've seen in the prototypes. Yeah, and if you have alerts, we have calendar alerts on our iPhone. If we have alerts on a watch to say, hey, you've been sitting for an hour, it's time to get up the basis watch actually has this so like every day it would say i wasn't sitting for too long a period but one of the other things it used to say was i was asleep whenever i was watching tv or something like that yeah Um, right which is difficult to assess when are you asleep versus just watching tv or something very low key i think yeah that's a movement where you know the research community is um, actively interested in both the, the effects of 
promoting activity and minimizing sedentary time. I guess you've brought up before that there's not consensus about the right type of activity, but I think among researchers in the public health community, we're in agreement that more physical activity is better, but um, a moderate amount is sufficient for health. So if, if we can get the population to do 30 minutes of physical activity on most days of the week, that's what we're after. Uh, unfortunately, a large percentage still um, doesn't do that. And then the, the addition of resistance training is uh, a really important piece um, that isn't really captured with these monitors, unfortunately. So that's where you know we need people to be adding um, some resistance exercise to their routine because that has independent benefits also. And the, the Amigo I brought up, which is trying to do that, I've actually been watching for a year. I don't think they've actually delivered any of the devices yet. It was an Indiegogo project. I could be wrong. I haven't looked at it for a while, but they'd run into some manufacturing issues and I, I'm not sure what the technology was there, but someone is trying to incorporate this resistance training aspect into it. Yeah, I had seen a couple and we were planning to incorporate them into that study I mentioned about resistance training, but we couldn't get them in time. And I forgot yeah. the names of those, but um, yeah, they weren't ready. And mm -hmm. so we just decided to go forward with the study with uh, the monitors we had. Great. So this is an ongoing work, like projects, right? You're going to be continuously looking at the, the new devices coming out and tracking. Is this something that you're going to continue working in your assessment center? Oh, definitely. Um, my students are very interested in that. So I have a, a whole uh, fleet of uh, grad students that help me do this work. And so they're very interested in keeping up on the latest technologies. So we have a, our, our lab is called the Physical Activity Lab. Um, so if you went to physicalactivitylab.org, we have that's where we do a lot of our we post information on our past studies and and things like that. But we've finished testing this one consumer or study. We then completed another one in the fall that'll be presented at a conference this spring. And that's again in review now for publication. And we're already planning another study this spring to kind of compare the the new smartwatches, like you said, and also the new Jawbone Up Three and the the Fitbit Charge. Those are the the latest devices that again are released even before we can finish testing them. There's new monitors that come out, and so we're very interested in type testing the the new Jawbone Up Three um, that has a number of uh, new features in it. Yeah, that's great to hear. You're going to be keeping up with it, so we can follow you and keep up to date on all of this. Because I haven't seen anyone else um, covering this in so much detail. I'd like to ask you a couple of personal questions, like about your use of data. Um, in terms of biomarkers or personal data, do you track anything on a routine basis for yourself to either monitor or improve your health, longevity, or, or performance? Yeah, I'm kind of a, a dabbler, probably more than a, a regular uh, user. So I, I dabble in them maybe because I'm more of a thinking about them from a research perspective. But as I think about it, the indicator that I'm probably most intrigued with is the sedentary time. And so it, it operates in my mind all the time about how long I'm sitting and, and trying to minimize sedentary time. So I've started becoming more interested in devices that and assessments that can do that, either simple cell phone apps or logs that I can track my behavior with. So I, I used to do a lot with uh, high-level training and you know using heart rate monitors to track the intensity of my workouts and things like that. But I kind of know by now my own ranges and if I'm working hard enough. So as an exercise physiologist, I kind of know what I need to know about my own training. But this whole sedentary world is a, a new frontier. Great, great. Did you ever look at HRV? We talked about this quite a bit on the show. Yeah, early on, I, I used to use a heart rate monitor and have uh, the, the tracking of using HRV to track. Uh, it's a good indicator of overtraining, for example, if your body is not rested from a previous night, a lot of athletes would use the, the advanced heart rate variability uh, indicators to determine if their body's fully rested and ready for the next workout. So at one point in my life, I was very focused on triathlon training and, and did a lot of that um, monitoring. But recently, it's not been uh, as high of a priority for me. Great. Thank you. 
What would be your biggest recommendation or insight on how people could use data effectively, right? Because there's more and more data coming about, and especially with these devices. How would you suggest that they use this data effectively to improve any aspect of their life? Good point. I think that's where the goal would be for using the device to help you change your behavior and to use it to inform decisions, not just to collect data for the sake of collecting data. So I think as the devices become more sophisticated, they'll provide actionable insights that give you prompt that says last week you were active in the mornings or you weren't active in the mornings and and it it would cue you to maybe be more active at different periods of of the day. So I think that's where it's got to get where the the devices are are basically um, helping people to to make changes. I mean, we live in a very challenging environment to be active today with people using cars and the busyness of our lifestyles. And so I think the monitors provide a way to keep people accountable to their goals and realize that they have to build physical activity into their day. It doesn't just happen. It has to be actively planned and promoted during the day. Great. Thank you so much for that. I'd really love to have you back on in, say, a year or something. Um, Would you mind if we reached out? And obviously, you're going to be seeing the trends as they develop. And I'm sure you'll have a completely different idea and research on where things have got to in a year's time. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm actually, again, we're working on uh, our health coaching models. We're we're testing some of the the new devices um, in the spring. And we're also including expanding our health coaching model where we'll be testing this new patch device from a physical physician referral system. I think that's where the key is. And we'll be able to learn from these studies what type of information consumers need to change their behavior and and what level of um, involvement do they need. So a a lot of our goal in our health coaching studies is to figure out a a very cost-effective solution. Uh, For example, can we give people a monitor and a few tips every week and even text messages? Is that enough? Or do we need to give them a one-on-one counseling session three weeks out of three weeks in a row and then put them on their own? And so we're trying to figure out that optimal dose and and, uh, scope of what a behavior change component needs to be. And yeah, we'll have a lot more to know by next year. Great. Yeah. And so you bring up like a lot of the challenge of, of using these is understanding the psychology and the, the behavioral implications of it. And so this is the more complex area to look into, really, I guess, analyzing, as you say, how to report the data to people on whatever frequency, the format and what actually influences behavior and gets us to the end goal. Well, great, Gregs. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, looking forward to talk to you again as your research expands and, and continues to look at this area. Yeah, I'd be happy to join. And I've been enjoying following uh, the blogs and uh, uh, look forward to continuing the discussion. To get more of the Quantified Body, subscribe on iTunes or go to the website verquantifiedbody.net. That's T H E Q U A N T I F I E D B O D Y dot N E T. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at twitter.com slash quantified body. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com forward slash quantified body podcast. If you've got feedback or requests for the show, you can email them to me at damien at thequantifiedbody.net. That's D-A-M-I-E-N at verquantifiedbody.net. Thanks for joining the show this week. See you next time.